we're going to get back to our study in, in the life of Elijah. And just to refresh real quickly, we've been talking about the power. You know, the Bible speaks about the spirit of Elijah, right? John the Baptist came in the spirit and, and power of Elijah. And that spirit is really the Holy Spirit and the boldness that he had. And it came from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. And, and we're praying for the same uh, boldness and power in our lives. Amen. The Lord is the same yesterday, t- today, and forever. And so when we study the life of a man like Elijah or Moses or whoever we're looking at from the Bible, we're not looking just historically. There are historical records, and we have the Word of God, but it's inspired and it's God-breathed. And the Bible says all things, these things happen to them as examples for us. All these things happen as admonitions uh, for us. And so these people, we can glean from their lives that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and speaks to us. But where did he get this power from? He got the power from the Lord. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And we got through two of the three conditions, at least in this study, two of the three conditions about if we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're assuming that we're talking to believers. First, you have to be born again. The world cannot receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But for believers, the three, and we talked about two already, we must be empty vessels. You cannot fill something that's already filled. We have to be empty. We have to be emptied of self is basically what it is. We could be saved and still have much self in us that needs to come and die and needs to come to the cross and die. And and Elijah, God had this emptying process in his life. We said he confronted King Ahab, and then he retreats. God retreats. The, the famine's coming on. The drought is coming on, and the famine as a result. And so we know it's at least three-and-a-half-year period between that encounter with Ahab. Three-and-a-half years is a long time. He retreats to the brook Cherith where he's fed, and then God moves him when the brook dries up. A hundred-mile journey by foot to Zarephath for a widow woman and her son. He's going to live with them. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But this is an emptying process. It looks like you're going the wrong way. It looks like you're going from uh, uh, maybe a certain amount of strength to a little bit weaker to a little bit weaker. But all that is part of God's plan. We go the way up, the path up. We talked about it in, in when we did Philippians and studied Paul's life. Uh, the path up is the path down. Jesus Christ, uh, you know, t- humbled himself, became obedient unto death, took upon him the form of a servant. So he's the king of glory eternally. He becomes flesh, obedient to his father, took, took upon him the form of a servant, was crucified. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. We have to be empty, okay? That's not a bad thing. It's a necessary thing for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is, and we see this in Elijah's life, is that he was obedient. He was obedient, and we need to be obedient. We need to be quick to obey. We need to be complete to obey, not partial obedience and not when I get around to it, but quick to obey. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. We read that at least three times about Elijah. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. When God says, go to Cherith, to the brook, he goes there. When he says, get up and go to see, find the woman, widow woman uh, in Zarephath, he does that. And the lastly, what we're going to talk about tonight, a condition of being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, like Elijah in the sense of the Holy Spirit upon us, in us, through us, the fullness of God's Spirit. He, we have to live on the Word of God. And we, people today, I think, make too little 
many in the churches today make too little about the Word of God. They think doctrine is just, just doctrine is just a bunch of, uh, I don't know, rules and, and theological debates. And this one believes in Calvinism, and this one's an Arminianist, and this one's they got a new word for one of them somewhere in the middle now. I forgot what it was. Uh, but anyway, and they think the Word of God that they don't love the Word. God wants to give us a love for the Word. And the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us the Word of God. So we see Elijah, even, even though he didn't have a complete Bible like we had, he lived on the Word that God gave him, that God spoke to him. And so here's Elijah and the widow and her son. And I want you to read this. Look at 1 Kings 17. Right now we'll read verses 14 through 16. 1 Kings 17, 14 through 16. For thus saith the God of Israel, this is before the miracle actually happened, but he lived on this word. See, he went to the widow woman and said, she says, I'm about to make my last little cake, and my son and I are going to eat it and die. There's no food, there's no rain, uh, and we, I'm a widow, and there was no sustenance. And he says, go Go do as you've said, but first make a little cake for me. For thus saith the Lord. This is what Elijah lived on, whatever God told him. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. There's, there's a real uh, importance and a preeminence put upon the word of God. And it was an importance in Elijah's life put on the word of God. He lived by it. Amen? He lived by it. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say when he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan? In Matthew 4, 4, when he's, Satan says, if you're the son of God, he was hungry, right? Jesus was hungry. He had fasted 40 days and nights. And it says, afterwards, he was hungry. Satan comes and tempts him and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I know I say it all the time, but we have to live by the Word of God. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to spiritually understand it. We have to live by it. When you get up tomorrow morning, there will be decisions you make. We need to make decisions based upon the truth of the Word of God. We need to be led. We need to have our hope and our trust in what God has said. Thus saith the Lord. Thus Elijah went and did according to the Word of the Lord. He made this promise to the woman because he believed it himself. Thus saith the Lord, that, that you're not going to run out of food until God sends the rain, however long that was. And he believed it, and it was that word. So they, they feasted on the meal and the bread that they made and the oil that was used to sustain them during this drought. But he also had the word of God and the promises of God that he held on to, the word of God that he held on to, and he he feasted on that. He must have. We don't have a lot of details, but it had to be probably what seemed like long, drawn-out days. He's just living with a widow woman and her son in a time of drought. Now, they were taken care of, but still, you say he wants to get to his purpose. Let me get to the big things. Let me get to the exciting things. He was very zealous for the Lord, 
and jealous for the Lord. He wanted to serve him. And he's like, get, he probably wanted to get on with it. And let's go ahead and do it. But there's a total. I don't know how much time he was by the brook or how much time he was with the widow. But combined, it was three and a half years. And he's waiting. And so he's holding on to the promise of God. He's believing it. And Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. So this would be like Elijah. He's feasting upon it and living. Maybe it's just a few words, but it's a promise nonetheless of God. That barrel's not going to, you know, uh, of meal's not going to run out. And the promises he held on to. Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. And I just wonder, is, is the word of God, do we eat it basically like feast upon it? Or we just read it and close the Bible and say, I'm finished with my chapter. Or do we feast upon it? Because it's a living word. Jesus said, the words I speak, their spirit and their life. And he says, it was the joy, your word, Lord, Jeremiah said, was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And what was Jeremiah going through? He was going through all that captivity and his own people throwing him in prison and so forth and rejecting. Nobody believed his prophecy about the captivity. And, uh, and yet he rejoiced. And so Elijah must have, we don't know all the details, but you can fill in some of the gaps. I don't want to fill in too many because I don't feel like it's my place to do that. But he must have shared this word, whatever God has spoken to him, whatever he knew of the Lord in that home. I believe he did with the, with the widow woman and the son. I want you to look, skip all the way down to verse 24. Now, during this period, her son had died, and we'll talk about this more in another study. And the Lord used Elijah to raise him from the dead. But look what she says. The widow woman said to Elijah in verse 24, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, number one, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth is truth. He, he had to have spoken on behalf of the Lord, the word of the Lord in that home during that time. And, and so he brought that forth. And, y'all, we have to to feed upon the word of God. I just can't stress it enough to sit before the Lord. Jesus said, as the living Father has sent me in John 6, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And that sounds strange, to eat the Lord. What does it mean? It's by faith. Certainly we're not eating the Lord's flesh. But when we take his word and we meditate on it and we live by it, we live by Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We live by the word of the Lord. He's not just some important part to our life. And the word of God is not just some important words to our life. We live by it. And Jesus lived by it. And Elijah lived by it. We meditate upon the word of God. His words are spirit and life. And remember, how do we feast? Well, Jesus is the bread of life, right? The bread of heaven. We feast upon the Lord. So one of the conditions that that there is to be filled with the Holy Ghost and then to remain filled with the Holy Ghost is is being filled with His Word and a lover of His Word and feasting upon His Word. Don't forget this: that the Holy Spirit works with and through the Word of God. And and again, I think we see a lot of things done in the name of the Holy Ghost that don't line up with the Word of God. So which is it? 
his, the whole, people say this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's moving in this way. He's doing this right now. But it doesn't line up with the Bible. We have to go with the Bible because the spirit of the truth leads us into all truth. And what, no matter what goosebumps we get or how this person speaks or what signs and wonders they may do, if it doesn't line up with this, the scripture of truth, then we are to reject that. Why? That sounds very dogmatic. I, I guess it is. But the fact of the matter is that the spirit of truth leads us into all truth. And the Lord said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are to be, the Holy Spirit leads us in the word of God. Things can be confusing. Well, I know that they love the Lord. I know that's a man of God. I know that's a woman of God. And I know they did this, but it doesn't line up with the Bible. Well, the only thing we really knew in that whole scenario was the Bible. Because we think this is really a person of God, and really that was a genuine miracle, but it didn't line up with Scripture. In fact, it was contrary to Scripture. Then no matter how we feel about the individual, the person, we are to reject that. It doesn't mean we hate them. We're rejecting what took place that, doesn't, that was not the Lord. I don't know what the example is, but, but you understand the point. The Holy Spirit works with and through the Word of God. When we neglect to study the Word of God, when we neglect to live upon the Word of God, when we neglect the importance of the Word of God in our lives, we're cutting off from ourselves the means by which God's Spirit teaches us. Does that make sense? you got people that want to be filled with the Spirit. They want the power of the Spirit. They want all the signs and and feelings and movements and, and so forth, the power of the Holy Spirit, but they don't love God's Word and they don't spend time with it and they don't live by what they do learn from the Bible. You're cutting off from ourselves the means by which the Holy Spirit teaches us. And I know I've said it before and I said it recently. When I personally got baptized in the Holy Spirit, the, one of the first things immediately was a love for the Word of God. I read it before, but I had a love for it, and it was living to me, okay? It was a lot like Jeremiah said, okay? I found thy words. Their words were found. I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. That is true. The Lord does that. So don't, don't cut off from yourself. By neglecting God's word, you're cutting off from yourself the means by which God wants to teach. And I believe many uh, Christians today... We'll seek after other things in lieu or of or in place of God's Word. They're going to go to conferences. They're going to go to, to read Christian books. They're going to read, and, and it might be, might be a good conference, and it might be a good Christian book. But all that to me is unnecessary. It's lanyap. It would be icing on the cake, so to speak, and the cake would be feasting on God's Word. And a lot of people run off to a lot of other things, uh, substitutes for the Bible, and then they say, God's Word doesn't really speak to me. That doesn't resonate with me. That Scripture doesn't resonate with me. That passage doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't speak to me. The reason is they don't give it respect and heed in their life, and they're not going to do what God tells them to do anyway, unless they really like that particular thing. They're not putting it where it needs to be in preeminence, Man shall not live by bread, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think our churches, I know they would, our individual Christians and in our churches would be filled with a lot happier people 
more joyful and so forth if we would be filled with the Spirit and if we would give attention to the Word of God, a reverence to it as we're supposed to. There's not a book on the planet that will repay the time spent in it more than the Bible. There's not. So all the other Christian books that we have, they're good ones. I'm studying one right now by F.B. Meyer, okay, and, and reading it. But nothing will take the place of the Bible. Nothing's going to take the place of those scriptures. We're to live by that. A neglected Bible, F.B. Meyer says this, a neglected Bible means a starved and strengthless spirit. It means a comfortless heart. It means a barren life and a grieved Holy Spirit. We're told don't, don't grieve not the Spirit. We grieve Him. One of the ways we can grieve Him is by neglecting the Word of God. People run off to counselors. They could be Christian counselors. They run off to this and, and to uh, whatever. We run off to different things. If we would take that time, just stay home and read the Bible. You know what I mean? Just stay home and take that time in the Word of God, and the Lord will speak to you. And he'll speak to you, and the Holy Spirit will be your teacher, and he'll lead us and guide us. Amen. Pray that God would give us a greater love for his word and a greater reverence for his word. We don't, we don't worship the Bible, okay? We worship the God of the Bible. But he speaks to us by his spirit through the word, okay? He reveals himself through the word of God. And the Holy Ghost reveals Christ through us. And so here's this, this woman and after however many, many years or months that Elijah spent with her, she said, I know that thou art a man of God. So it was the Lord glorifying himself through Elijah by the Holy Spirit. And I can say this. Can you think of anything better to be known for or known as? Honestly, oh, that guy's a great baseball player. That guy's a great whatever, uh, you know, all these talents and things like that, but to be known as a man of God. Can you think of anything better than that? There is not anything better than that. Now I know that thou art a man of God, this widow woman said of him. He had proved it right there. Is filled with the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was glorifying the Lord. Amen. When a man's filled with the Holy Ghost, he or a woman, he or she is going to be proved to be a man of God. Amen. The Lord does that. The Lord does that. And so I want to I move on to a test. And, and Elisha faced this test as well. We don't, we don't read, excuse me, read a whole lot about the, the details, as I said, at this time with this woman. But it's a good, this is a good lesson nonetheless. And that is the test of our, what we would call the home life, the test of the Lord uh, to, to stand for the Lord, to be Christian in the, in the home. And it is a specific test by God. There's a lot of times we could stand strong for the Lord in some crisis, you know, like, like the three Hebrew boys. I mean, I admire their boldness and strength. And maybe we, by the grace of God, you know, we can do that. Or maybe we can stand strong for the Lord in the pulpit or when we're around in the church body. But it, there's a testing of the Lord of our faith, the genuineness of our faith in the home. And I pray you have a wonderful home. I know most of you here, but still our home life uh, can be a test for us. In other words, when Elijah was by the brook, it was just him and God. 
There was no people rubbing him the wrong way. There was no people putting demands on his life that he thought were ridiculous. There's nobody asking him 20 times to forgive them for the same offense. You understand what I'm saying? There was, there was just him and the Lord. And it could have been hard and so forth, but he wasn't tested in this way that we're talking about. And so there's a testing that can come day by day in our homes, in the people that we're with, in our family, that when nobody else is around and nobody else sees. And it is a test from the, from the Lord. And F.B. Meyer makes a good point. He says, it's one thing to walk, you know, by the brook Cherith with you and God, or even to call down fire from heaven in front of a bunch of people, and God's moving in a mighty way. Both need their own strength, right? It's quite another thing, he says, to walk with the Lord day by day in the midst of the home where there are many calls upon your life and demands upon your life. And it often, he says, no play, nowhere like the home does, does it call for a forgetfulness of self. The home where we're, we're just dad, we're just mom, we're just, you know, a husband or whatever, a child. And we, we have our duties and responsibilities and things that we do. And, and they're the people that are, keep placing demands upon us. And we have to, our Christianity has to be Christian there, I guess is what I'm saying. We need to be Christ-like in the home, amen? There's a constant need for the exercise of gentleness, a constant need for the exercise of patience. These are fruits of the Spirit. Self-sacrifice, self-restraint, right? Because you might want to, you're fed up with it and something in the house and you may want to let loose, uh, there's a test of the home life because there are constant demands and duties put, put upon us. And honestly, there are a lot of men, I can say men and women, but there are, there are great men and women of God that have been used by God greatly and preachers and so forth that their home life was not what it should be. Their Christianity might have failed there. I'm not saying they weren't Christians. I'm saying our, it doesn't need to fail there, I guess is the point. If we're saved, if our, if our religion, so to speak, is genuine, genuine and true, then it should be that all the time. And if I'm Christian and I'm Christ-like and I'm living for the Lord and you are too, then every single thing under that umbrella ought to be brought under that umbrella of Christ-likeness. Oh, I'm a real strong Christian at work. Everybody knows I'm a Christian there and I'm very bold and I, and I, and I abstain from appearance of evil. And praise God, we should. But everything ought to come under that canopy. When you're by yourself with your phone or your TV, it all ought to come under that umbrella. When you're at home with your husband or wife and children uh, or family members or siblings, it all ought to be, if it's true religion, the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you're taking out the trash and you think it's so-and-so's turn to take out the trash, can't they do it once? It's always me taking out the trash. Uh, we ought to take out the trash and give it to God. It's a test from the Lord. It's a testing from the Lord. It's easy. I can smile and say, praise you, praise the Lord and bless your brother and sister to all y'all in church. But do I do that at home with my wife and my, my children and so forth that are around and grandchildren? We, we, our Christianity doesn't need to break down, so to speak. It needs to be genuine. And there's no reason it can't be all the time, Okay. We ought to be as Christ-like, uh, standing, standing there like the three Hebrews saying we're not going to bow 
as, you know, supper's late and I was really starving and it's the tenth time, you know, I've been ready to eat and the supper wasn't ready. Uh, something like that. And we're irritated and aggravated. You know, we're going to be Christ-like all the time. It's a test from the Lord. I think sometimes we don't think of that as a test from the Lord. And we have wonderful families. I know we do. It's probably nothing like this, what I'm saying. But I am saying that the home life can be a test, its own unique test from the Lord. And we need to remember that God says that my grace is sufficient for thee. That would basically be his answer for every test, for, for standing, you know, being thrown into the lion's den like Daniel or whatever we face or something in the home, my grace is, is sufficient for you, and that will take care of every excuse we have and complaint we have. Well, God, I, you know, I had a right to lose my temper here. No, we really don't. His grace is sufficient for us, and God will give us his grace for that circumstance. Amen? And remember this, that, that your specific home life, whatever that is, you're a single individual, a family, whatever it be. Your home life was chosen for, for you by the Lord. In other words, he's chosen that. The one who knows you better than you know yourself has chosen this to be an instrument by which he works Christ in us more and makes us more like Jesus, okay? So there's nothing in, in our lives that cannot be done if we're living with God, for God, and he's working through us. Amen? And we're to be Christ-like in all of these things. And so the same Holy Ghost that filled Elijah and fills us, he, he's going to fill us and he's going to prepare us for every, everything that we would ever. It's about it. He is more than sufficient. Amen? And so it, one of the things I notice about Elijah, that apparently what we know about him, he was the same man in that widow's home as he was by the brook, as he was, would be in a few months from then or weeks when he's calling down fire from heaven. And it's evidenced by his, his daily walk with the Lord. Y'all, our daily walk with the Lord is so important. It's not just the big mission trips that we get all prepared for. We might prepare for, I know we haven't done any, any foreign missions in our church since it started, but many of you in here have been on mission trips and sometimes we'll get ready for months. Well, months we might have meetings. We might have prayer meetings, and all that's wonderful. And and study all those things. But even more important, I think, to the Lord is our day by day Christianity. Waking up in the morning and saying, "Lord, I give you this day." Waking up in the morning and dedicating your life, like Romans twelve says, presenting your body as a living sacrifice to God. And as soon as we do that, here comes another test, a test of our patience, a test of our gentleness, a test of us, uh, of our self-control, gentleness and self-control, maybe in the home, maybe in traffic, maybe in, at work, uh, maybe in the news when you turn it on. But it's a day-by-day -day living for God, y'all. It's a day-by-day. -day. It's a brick-by-brick -brick that the house is being built. And, and that is... It's far more important, I think, in the grand scheme of our, our Christianity than the mission trips and things like that. Those mission trips and witnessing things, that needs to be part of our life. It needs to be a regular part of our church life. But it's you, you and I waking up daily and just living for God, living for God. Someone calls you on the phone and asks you, and you're thinking, can't they do that for themselves? They need me to go over and do this. Uh, you know, we think all of these things, and yet... Yet it's a test from the Lord. 
Guess what? They might call again the next day, you know, or God sends someone else. How many times have people come to help me with things? We have to remember these things. We have to remember it's a test from the Lord. We have to remember that the Lord is working. He's, he's whittling off, you know, like carving, whittling off some little stubble or some rough spots on that piece of artwork that he's making or that carving that he's making. And we need to allow the Lord to do that. Amen. And, and it's by his grace and it's by the working of the Holy Spirit. The next thing we learn about Elijah's life, this is the last thing we'll talk about tonight, is that he had to have learned contentment. He had to learn contentment. We looked about it, Paul, Paul's life. He's learned whatsoever state I'm in, there when to be content. He's learned to, both to abound and to be abased, right, to, to be hungry and to be full. I've learned that. He learned that. I'm sure there was times before Paul was saved where he got hungry, and there's times he, before he was saved he got full. Uh, but he learned as a believer, as a born-again, spirit-filled believer, to be content. This is of God. This is a contentment. He had just as much contentment in the Roman prison when he wrote the book of Philippians as he did, uh, you know, preaching and, uh, where, where hundreds are getting saved or, or the, the prison shaken and he's being released from prison. He, he, we have to learn that. It is a lesson from the Holy Spirit. It is a working of God. And so Elijah had to be content being by himself with the Lord, having birds bring him food, watching the brook dry up. He had to learn to be content with a widow woman. I said this, this land, Zarephath, was actually outside of the land of Canaan. It was right on the outside. And this would have been an idolatrous people. Uh, some scholars say this is actually where uh, Jezebel came from her hometown before Ahab married her. And he had to learn to be content with a widow woman and her son and be content. And it's one thing to wait. Sometimes we wait because we have to wait. We have no choice. You've been driving before and you're in the you know, middle of the day, not a traffic time. And you're on the interstate in the middle of Texas and it comes to a screeching halt. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And you have to wait. And you, you may hate it. You may say, this is going to throw off my whole schedule. It's, you know, I plan on being there by, by this time. We wait sometimes simply because we have to wait. But it's another thing to wait and be content. And I have not learned it perfectly. I pray that I'm learning it, though. We learn to be content in what's, whatever state that we're in. And so God is always going to provide God had provided and promised to provide for Elijah and the widow woman and her son all through the famine, and he did. He took care of them every day. Every day was a new day, and every day he had to be content. Uh, Deuteronomy, Moses says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And so there's a strength that comes day to day, walking with the Lord and learning to be content. Amen? Learning to be content. If we had a choice... If God was able to give us the choice, or if he did give us the choice between seeing our provision and keeping it ourselves or not, seeing it and, and leaving it to him day by day, most of us would almost surely take the former. If in a store we would want it all, we would say, well, if he's going to take care of me day by day, I want it all piled up in a storeroom here where I can just look at it every day and know I'm going to be taken care of. We would probably choose that. But God wants to give us day by day the bread, right? 
Give us this day our daily bread. He wants us to learn to live by him and by his strength day by day and know that his grace is sufficient. That is part of the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen. And all this is just to me just a daily walk with the Lord, a daily keeping our eyes upon the Lord. Hebrews 12 says that we are to run the race that is set before us. And the race is run just step by step. We run it step by step, and we run it keeping our eyes upon Christ. We run it keeping our eyes upon the Lord, and we know that he is sufficient for us. Amen. I know that when Dee and I uh, first got married, it wasn't long after. Maybe after a year of marriage, the Lord called us into full-time ministry. And to live, really, uh, neither of us at that time having a full-time job. It was ministry, and it was it was strictly a love offering type ministry. We would go, and she would sing, and then later I started singing and playing the guitar, and and uh, it was strictly people say, well, "What do y'all? What do you charge to come?" What is just a love offering? That that's all. And so we would go from place to place, and sometimes we would have a lot of things lined up, and some things times we wouldn't have much lined up, and sometimes we would drive a couple of hundred miles to go sing somewhere and they forgot to take up a love offering or they and we said bye and they thanked us for coming you know it was all a test it was all part of growing in the lord but can i tell you all the honest truth that never how many years did we do that about about nine to ten years we we did that i had little little jobs that I would pick up, little construction jobs and things like that, substitute taught in schools and little things to pick up a little extra money uh, here and there. But really, we lived by that. And we can honestly say, looking back from that, we didn't miss one payment ever on anything, not one. We never missed a house payment. We never missed an electric bill payment. We never missed a water payment, insurance Nothing, nothing lacked. Not one single thing lacked. He didn't have it all stored up for us in a big storeroom where we would go get it out. He had it for us just day by day, day by day. We had children during this time, during the latter part of this time. People were good to us. Our mother was good, my mother-in-law and father-in-law. People were good to us and helped us and blessed us with things. But honestly, we didn't lack one thing. And it really is teaching the sufficiency of God that he takes care of us and he doesn't always show us everything up front and maybe if he'd have showed us how it was going to be maybe we would have been scared and wouldn't have done it you know I don't know but we just stepped out and the Lord gave us faith we had another Christian a little bit older than us probably another Christian tell us don't do it don't do it you're crazy Randy how are you going to provide for your family and we just have to trust the Lord. We have to be still and know that he's God. So when you're going through something like that, it could be finances. It could be the testings at home, people rubbing you, and you're about, you're about fed up with it. It's of the Lord. Not saying what they're doing necessarily is of the Lord. Your circumstances of the Lord. The way you handle it is of the Lord. He's trying to teach you something. He's trying to teach me something. He's trying to teach us to be dead to ourselves. He's trying to teach us to be empty vessels so he can fill us. He's trying to teach us you better come to the cross daily and die. 
There's too much of you getting up and starting that day, and, and you need to come here and die. There's too much of you personally and me personally still wanting its own way and asserting my rights as opposed to being dead, dead in Christ and alive by the, by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? He's wanting to do that in all of our lives. And we just see this working in Elijah's life. Everybody's got their own path. How we did in Elijah's life is not going to be exactly how he does it in our lives, nor the, the result of calling down fire from heaven. But I can promise you he's working in our lives. And the same Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Elijah, okay, the same Holy Spirit that strengthened him, the same love for God, the same love for his word, the same quick and implicit obedience in his life, the same learning to be content, that's for all of us. We could pick up and study Paul's life. We could pick up and study Moses' life, which we have. Pick up and study David's life. We're going to find it's the same dependence upon the Lord, the same testings. We feel like we're being raked through the coals, raked through the fire. I can't take it anymore, and yet God's grace is sufficient, and we take it some more. Not just grinning and bearing it, but somehow taking it and learning to let it go to God, turning it over to the glory of God. Rejoicing in the Lord because he didn't leave you and he didn't abandon you. He's strengthening us, strengthening us and preparing us for what he has for us. He's building us up. He's making us more like Jesus. And he can't fill us if we're filled with self. And he can't fill us with the Holy Ghost when there's so much of us still living. And I promise you he's working, whether it's in your home, in your office, your coworkers, uh, school. He's working. He's put people in your life to to uh, to knock the rough edges off, to test you. And, and we need to allow him to do that and, and wake up and say, okay, I get it, Lord. I see what you're doing here and not to hate it. Amen? Paul said when that thorn in his flesh, he asked the Lord three times for it to be removed from him. He was a Christian. He had raised people from the dead. He had been used to heal people. He had been used to win thousands to the Lord. And here he's got some infirmity. A lot of people, you know, think it was blindness that he had. But whatever it was, it was in his flesh. So a physical infirmity. He asked the Lord three times for it to be gone. And then the Lord says, no, this is for a reason. It's for a glorious, godly purpose in your life. Because of the abundance of revelation that had been given to Paul. And there was an abundance of revelation from one high that every man that was a Christian didn't receive. He says, lest you get lifted up, that this, this messenger of Satan has been sent by me to buffet you, to keep you humble, to keep you dependent upon me. And when he saw that, what a wonderful response. He says, well, praise God, I'll much rather glory in my infirmity that the spirit of glory in God may rest upon me. Amen. Hallelujah. So I got a sickness, so I can't see well. Whatever it was to him, because he knew, it makes a difference when you know. This is from the Lord. He has allowed it to keep me humble and to keep me down so that he can be lifted up. He can't use you if you're lifted up. You know that? He can't use me, you and me, if we're lifted up. He will use those things and people in your life and circumstances and situations you think ought to be here by now, and he knocks us back down, okay, and that he might be glorified and lifted up through our lives, amen? So don't despise it. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. 
get with God and find out what's going on. Maybe you don't know. What's going on? What's going on with this every day, this harassment at work? Every day, the same agitation at home. Every day, the same physical ailment in my back. I can't get up. Certainly, we pray for healing. But get with God and see, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? I want to be used by God. Do you really? Yes, I do. Well, you're going to go through this school that I'm sending you to. You really want to be used by me? You really do? All right, here's, here's what we're going to go through. He's going to send us through some things, but he'll strengthen us and he'll help us. Amen? He's going to strengthen us and help us. Steve, you can come. I just want to close with that, y'all. Let's just come to the altar tonight just for a few minutes before we go. Worship the Lord. We were singing when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me up, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you're praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've not learned to be content in your circumstance right now, and you need God supernaturally to give you his grace to be content. Maybe you don't know what's going on with your circumstances. You're not sure why you're going through what you're going through. Come and seek the Lord. He says, you'll seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. Maybe you've neglected the word of God like we opened with. The Bible's important, but it's not all important. You need to come at, to repent and ask God to forgive you and say, God, please forgive me for neglecting the word of God, for not, not putting a preeminence upon your living word, God. And ask him to give you love for the word. Ask him to help you to be obedient to the word. We all need these things. Father, we come.